Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm reading from the 18th chapter, uh, two verses. Words from Jesus. Then Peter came to Jesus. Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. The word of the Lord. Most of you know the name Ernest Hemingway, I suspect, the famous writer from the last century. Ernest Hemingway began one of his more memorable short stories, The Capital of the World, with the following lines. Madrid, Spain is full of boys named Paco, which is diminutive of the name Francisco. And there is a Madrid joke about a father who came to Madrid and inserted an advertisement in the personal columns of El Liberal, the local paper, which said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday, All is forgiven. And a squadron of police had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who answered the advertisement. (laughs) The joke is about the ubiquity of the name Paco in Spain. But the joke only works because of the underlying longing that so many of us have for forgiveness whether we are sons or daughters, whether we are parents or grandparents, whether we are workers or colleagues or friends or spouses. We all long for forgiveness. All of us understand something of this longing. We desire forgiveness for ourselves. We know we are called to forgive And we know how hard that is. We also know that without forgiveness, our relationships falter and fail and leave us lost and wandering and less than whole. So we continue this series, Tough Questions, Seeking Faithful Answers. And I actually got questions about the subject of forgiveness from many of you. How can I really forgive someone who has hurt me so deeply? Or hurt my family member. Especially when the person who did the hurting has never acknowledged it. Or apologized. Or another person's asked, I'm struggling with the issues of forgiveness. Can you help me, Alec? And even this one. How does Richmond find forgiveness and the capacity to move on from our unhealed history? So as Christians, we recite regularly the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We also hear what Jesus tells Peter, forgive 77 times, not seven, 77 times. We are to be people of forgiveness because God has forgiven us and we are called to forgive. But as we live, We also know how hard it is, how hard it is to offer forgiveness to others who have betrayed our trust or hurt us 
deeply. We know how complicated it is to find forgiveness for those, from those whom have hurt us or who we have hurt. And we long for lives made whole, long for lives reconciled, redeemed through forgiveness. Our first lesson today comes from the book of Genesis, and it's the fantastic story of Joseph. I know some of you know this story very well. For others, I'm going to offer a brief review. It's about how one generous act can redeem life. Back in Genesis 12, God called Abraham and Sarah to go and be a blessing to the world. God would bless them and they would be a blessing to the world. This is the beginning of God's relationship with human beings, moving the world toward the reign of God, which is what the whole Bible is actually about. Moving the world toward the reign of God. Abraham and Sarah had a son. His name was Isaac, through whom the lineage and the blessing would continue to the world. Isaac and Rebekah had a son, Jacob. There are lots of twists and turns. There are lots of, there's lots of intrigue and drama in this story, lots of setback and success as the story unfolds between God and God's people, developing people. Now, Jacob, this third generation to receive God's blessing and call to bless, has 12 sons, the youngest of whom is named Joseph. Jacob loved Joseph very much. In fact, Jacob loved Joseph and showed favoritism to this youngest son, which angered and created jealousy among all the 11 brothers. Jacob showed his favoritism for Joseph, most notably in a richly embroidered cloak, the famous coat of many colors, the technicolor coat, the multicolored coat made the brothers seethe in jealousy and anger every time they saw Joseph wearing it. And to make matters worse, as we're prone to do, Joseph liked to say things that only intensified the anger and the jealousy as we're all prone to do. Then one day, all of the 11 sons of Jacob were out tending the flocks far from home. Jacob, the father, sent the youngest, Joseph, to check on the brothers, go check on them. This became a fateful encounter. The brothers saw Joseph coming from far away. They recognized the coat. Anger grew Jealousy percolated within them. They began plotting and scheming. They even decided, let's kill the little brother and make up a story to tell our father. But then the story in Genesis slows down to a very slow pace and the details get richer and richer and the plot thickens. The brothers decided not to kill Joseph, but throw him into a pit. Eventually, Joseph was taken out of the pit and sold to traveling Midianites who were on their way to Egypt. They took Joseph as a slave to Egypt. The father, Jacob, went into deep despair, believing that the youngest and most precious son, Joseph, had been killed by wild animals because that's what the brothers went home and told their father. It was some years later when we get to the text for today. Joseph has found success in Egypt. The brothers 
have found hunger and desolation in their land and had to travel to Egypt in order to find food for their whole family. Jacob, the father, has died. The brothers recognize Joseph. What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we have done to him? The brothers are no longer in a place of power. They need forgiveness. They need redemption from the mess of their lives. They even try to manufacture more stories in hopes that the forgiveness and the grace will flow from their youngest brother, Joseph, instead of vindication and violence and punishment, which they know they deserve. Joseph says to his brothers when he recognizes them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people. Joseph forgave them. Forgave them their scheming. Forgave them their anger and jealousy. Forgave them their disdain for him. Forgave them their violence and their betrayal. Even their most recent lying. You intended to do me harm. God intended it for good. He forgave them. Forgiveness in an unforgiving world. One generous act can redeem life. It's the way of God. It's meant to be the way of God's people. And we know how hard it is. In the gospel lesson today, clearly Peter has heard Jesus teaching about loving and following the master. He's heard about how Jesus is bringing about the reign of God. So Peter's question is something like this. Lord, we know we're to be changed. We know we are to love We know we are to forgive. The Old Testament teaches that we forgive three times. What you teach is something different. Is it enough then to forgive seven times? Peter wants to be a disciple. Peter is engaged by the teaching of the master. He wants to be changed. He wants to become all that he can be in God's grace And for God's purposes. Seven times, he asks, that's a pretty good quantity of kindness and mercy. Is that enough? Isn't that enough? Is that enough change? Is that enough transformation? Well, Jesus says, not seven times, 77 times. In other words, the change that is expected of us, the change in how we live and love and follow and forgive is not meant to be just a little bit. Or is it meant to be just a little bit more, which most of us think we can manage? What is expected of God's faithful people in terms of life and love and forgiveness is significant, not 
surface stuff, not Christian in name only, not just being a member of the church, but real discipleship, which is about love and significant forgiveness. It matters how we live, Jesus says. It matters how we forgive. One generous act can redeem life. This is how we're called to live. So how in the world do we do this? How do we do it? First, we need to hear it. We need to keep hearing it. Hearing that forgiveness is part of what it means to be God's people. Hear it and keep hearing it. God forgives us. That's the story of the Old Testament. That's the story of the New Testament. God forgives. We are to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There is no life without forgiveness. There are no relationships without forgiveness. There, are, there is no hope without forgiveness. Forgiveness is part of the way we are called to go as we go with God. We want and we need to keep hearing this, and we need to keep helping each other hear it so that we can help each other in it. Forgiveness. Faithful people can't get around it. Second, we keep leaning into living with forgiveness. Leaning into it. Perhaps you've heard me mention TED Talks before. This is the booming organization that produces these 20 minutes or less of talk on some important topic. You can find thousands of them on the TED Talk website. Uh, Fascinating material. There is a certain TED Talk by a scholar named Brenny Brown entitled The Power of Vulnerability. Power of vulnerability through a long history, a journey of research and reflection. Brown concludes that what makes us human and most wholesome is our ability and our willingness to be vulnerable. Vulnerable. Now, if you think about this for just one second, you realize that's not the way most of us live. The world is harsh. Life is a struggle. We work very hard every day in personal life, in work life, in all of life, not to feel vulnerable. We have to stand up. We have to step up. We have to educate up. We have to claw our way up. At least we think we have to secure our life. We have to get another gun. We have to do all these things to make us Not vulnerable, not feel vulnerable. Vulnerability is something we avoid. In fact, Brown makes the point that we, in these days, in this season, we are the most in debt, the most obese, the most addicted, the most medicated cohort of humans ever, and all of it is our effort not to be vulnerable. So much of what we do, where we spend our money, our energy, how we live is to numb us so we don't have to feel vulnerable. 
But her main point is that we cannot just numb our sense of vulnerability. Can't do it. You can't just numb our sense of fear or shame or guilt or failure or heartache and everything else we hope to avoid. It doesn't work. When we numb that, we also numb our sense of joy, our sense of gratitude, our happiness, our sense of wholesomeness, and then we find ourselves miserable and we go about numbing again in order to be protected. And it's this vicious cycle. The whole subject of forgiveness relates closely to this sense of vulnerability. We worry that if we forgive, we open ourselves to being hurt again, maybe even more deeply. Or, if we forgive, we're no longer holding something over somebody. That makes us feel vulnerable. And if we accept somebody's forgiveness, we might not know what the future holds. And that makes us feel vulnerable. We're so much better at holding grudges because it keeps us detached and further from vulnerable. But it also keeps us feeling more broken and less whole and so much less than what God intends of us. Joseph and Jesus show us what wholeheartedness looks like. Forgiveness. In little acts, in big acts, this is what gives us life. Forgiveness is what restores us, redeems us, makes us whole. It's what moves us to gratitude and joy. It's what points the way to a kinder, gentler, more hopeful existence and world. And when we withhold forgiveness, we find ourselves wallowing and wandering in dark and disappointing places. Lou Lubello, he's a Marine veteran from Iraq. He served a difficult tour of duty with the Marines in Iraq. When he returned home, like many soldiers, he returned home with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And Labello was haunted particularly by one very awful incident. Early in the takeover of Baghdad, his Marine unit shot up a suspicious car that turned out to be full of civilians. Civilians. In fact, the Cachadorian family. Only the mother and the daughter survived. All the men were killed in the car. Lubello was discharged from the Marines due to his PTSD. He eventually researched and found what happened to the Cachadorian family. They had moved to California, not far from where Lubello actually lived. Through a reporter who had written up a story about the Cachadorians, a meeting 
was arranged. The conversations were awkward. But the mother and the daughter, both Arminian Christians, told Lubello that they forgave him and received him as a brother and as a son. Extravagant forgiveness. One act can redeem life. This is our calling. Not grudges, not tit for tat, not revenge, which are all our tendencies, all seemingly easier. We think that's the normal way to go even. But it never satisfies the hurt or the peace that we need. We're called to forgive. God intends it for good. And we find life 77 times. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Bless us, O Lord. Bless us that by your Holy Spirit we can seek and discover the way of life following Jesus. Amen.